ask that you turn with me to 1 Timothy, the epistle to Timothy, Paul's first letter to him, chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we will uh, break in to the chapter in verse 12 and read through to verse 17, or through verse 17. Let us hear the living word of God. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Trust the Lord to bless that word to all of our hearts. Let's seek his face and ask for his help. My Father, we have come once again. We have heard thy word read. And Lord, we need the help of thy spirit to rightly hear thy message. Lord, I need the help of thy spirit to rightly preach this message. Lord, we ask that you'll make this a word that touches the hearts of all here. And Lord, particularly we pray that if there be one here that is a stranger to Christ, that you will cause this word to be implanted in their heart and they would take heed to it and come to Christ even this very night. Please hear our prayers, O God, and undertake now for the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the text uh, I want to draw your attention to are verse 15 and 16. That is where I want us to focus our attention and meditate on this evening. The Apostle Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ, might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. My goal in, in bringing us to this text is very simple. Some sinners think that they are too lost to be saved. There are various people in this world, and perhaps there is even just one here tonight, that for whatever reason you see yourself as incapable of being saved. You see yourself as so great a sinner that the grace of Christ cannot reach you. 
Perhaps guilt eats away at you and you think yourself too far gone in your sin. Well, you can imagine being the Apostle Paul, having read what we looked at in Acts chapter 9, the things that the Apostle Paul did, the things that were a part of his past, the things that he would have faced in terms of guilt, in terms of his wickedness and all that he did to the people of God. Imagine being him and the one whom you've been persecuting, the one whom you've hated, is now coming to you and calling you to faith and repentance in him. The Apostle Paul would have been ridden with guilt after his conversion, no doubt, unless he knew the answer to sin, which he did. He knew the answer was that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so my goal is is simple tonight. I want to consider with you the Apostle Paul's conversion. And I want us to use these verses to do so. I want you to see that even the worst of sinners, the most vile and wretched of people, are not beyond the grace of God. The Lord made Paul an example for such sinners that I am referring to. He says that the Lord showed him long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe. And so I want to consider these verses with you as a pattern for lost sinners to follow. A pattern for lost sinners to follow. And the first thing I want us to see here is the truth Paul believed. The truth Paul believed in verse 15. He writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I want us to consider several things about this truth. And the first is that this truth is comprehensive. This truth is comprehensive. Uh, This statement that Paul makes here, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, it is a summary of the gospel. It's a statement that is a summary of the gospel. It identifies the Savior and it summarizes His work. It names Him as Christ Jesus. And there is much to consider in the names of Christ, as many of you will well know. But He is Christ. He is the Messiah that was promised from the Old Testament. He is the Son of God come into this world. And He is Jesus, who was named so because He shall save His people from their sins. He is the Savior. And so He is identified in this statement that Paul gives us. But as I said, his work is also summarized. And we need to take a moment here to consider all that's summarized in this statement. As we think about his work, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. There are necessary implications of that statement. The obvious one, this is not an implication, this is there right in the text. Jesus Christ came into the world 
to save sinners. His incarnation. The fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world, entered in to this world in order to save His people from their sins. But even before that, the implied truth here that's summarized is that there was a covenant commitment of Jesus to come. Don't miss that when you read Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, that begs the question, well, why did He come? Where is, where is this coming from, this motive to enter into the world in order to save sinners? It's coming from His covenant commitment and eternity. It's coming from this covenant that He made with the Father to come into the world and save those who had been given to Him. So it tells us of His covenant commitment, of His incarnation, taking on flesh, taking on all the things that we were even thinking about this morning in terms of the incarnation, but beyond that, it implies more. It implies His obedience. His obedience to the law of God is implied here because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Well, He had to come to save them because they were lost. He had to come to save them from what they had, from their sins. And their sins are due to their breaking of the law of God. He came to obey. He not only came to obey, He came to satisfy the wrath of God upon the sins of these sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How was He going to save them? He had to save them by obeying the law of God and by taking on all the wrath of God on the cross. Taking all their sin, becoming sin for us, and taking all the punishment that was due to sinners. I submit to you His resurrection is implied here. Because this is a full-scale statement. It is, it is a concise statement. It is summary, but it is comprehensive. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and that work did not end at the cross. Though He cried out, it is finished. He cried out saying that because He's looking forward, knowing that He will rise again from the dead. It implies His ascension. It implies His ascension because as He rose again, the work in one sense was still not done. There was not a man ascended to God's right hand. It also implies His return. Because as Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, He came and He performed all the work necessary to save their souls from their sins. But he has now left to one day return and claim everything that he earned. And so this is a comprehensive truth. This statement is a summary of the gospel. It identifies the Savior and it summarizes his work. And this is where we begin because this is what gripped Paul's heart. And this is what I want you to see tonight. Particularly you who are here that may be lost in your sins. 
You need to see this truth. You need to behold what Jesus Christ has done in order that lost sinners may be saved and reconciled to God. This statement is a summary of the gospel. This statement implies the fulfillment of the objective. He came into the world to save sinners. It implies that what he came to do, he did. He performed the work necessary for the salvation of every sinner that he will save. So this truth is comprehensive. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But not only is it comprehensive, this truth is certain. This truth that Paul believed is certain. He tells us it is a faithful saying. A faithful saying. In other words, as that could be, that word faithful has the idea of objective. And so in other words, Paul's telling us this is objective truth. This is not up for debate. This is an objective saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, well why is it certain? Why, why can we be assured of that? Why can you be assured of that tonight? Well, it is certain. It is a certain statement because of its author. God is the author of this statement. It is a truth that is revealed by God Himself. And as we read in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath He said, and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken, and shall He not make it good? God not only cannot, not only will not lie, He cannot lie. And as he makes this statement in his word, it is for sinners to come to it with an assurance that what God says is certain. Though the devil would come to you tonight and whisper in your ear, hath God said? The reality is, the reality that your soul can run to for refuge is that God has said. And God has said that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So it's a truth revealed by God. He's its author. It's also recorded by God. It's recorded by God. It was given to the Apostle Paul. And recorded in the inspired, inerrant, infallible record of the word of the living God. And therefore, it is for all those who would come after the Apostle Paul to read this and to lay hold upon it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It is recorded for you to trust in. It is certain. It is certain because of its author. And it is certain because of its evidence. It is certain because of its evidence. I can't convince a sinner based on evidence. The Holy Spirit has to convince you of the truth. And yet at the same time, we are given evidence that is inspired by God. It is the record of the inspired event and the infallible truth uh, that we are considering here. And so consider with me two things 
as we think about the that is certain because of its evidence. The risen Christ makes this truth certain. The risen Christ makes this truth certain. How, how are we to be assured beyond the testimony of God that this is certain? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That is not only inspired truth written in the word of God, it is an historical fact that even the greatest of historians have to wrestle with and cannot disprove. And ultimately they have to just blindly deny it rather than accept it because they don't want to know Christ. The risen Christ. And that's what God tells us. That's that's one of the reasons for the resurrection. Obviously, our redemption is key in it. But think of what he says. Think of what he says through the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, verse 30. Jumping into verse 30 and into 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ makes this truth certain. The Lord tells us, tells us in Romans 1 4 that Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Christ certifies this truth by the fact that He is risen, by the fact that the tomb is empty. And you need to consider that tonight. What, What answer do you have to the empty tomb tonight? What answer do you have that the soldiers whose lives were on the line to certify that no one would steal the body of the Lord Jesus on that night in which they were committed and charged with guarding that tomb? What do you say to that? There was no possible way for them to fail in their duty. Christ rose. No man would have gotten past them to steal his body. That is truth that you have to reckon with tonight. The risen Christ makes this truth certain. But also, the resolve of Christ's people make this truth certain. What do I mean by that? Well, if you'll turn over, if you'd like, to 1 Corinthians 15 and see what the effect was, or rather the account of those who saw the risen Christ and think about those who saw him. The Apostle Paul again writing in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. 
and that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Now I want you to think of that list of people that are given there. Cephas and the rest of the twelve, that is Cephas being Peter and James and Paul. And I want you to think about the fact that most of those men died for their faith. Most of those men who were, who were marked with a certain amount of timidness and shyness. Peter himself who denied the Lord out of fear and unbelief on the night of his betrayal. And yet after they see the risen Christ, they are resolved to lay down their lives for him. Only certain truth does that to people. Only when God grips the hearts of men with the truth that Christ is risen from the dead, do they become so resolved as to, as according to tradition, Peter, the only way he would have been resolved to be crucified upside down, tortured before that, and all the rest of the things that we can read about concerning the horrible deaths of these men, the only thing that would have given them that resolve was the reality of the truth that Christ is risen. And you have to reckon with that this evening. The certainty of this truth. But also, this truth is comprehensive it is certain but also it is crucial this truth is crucial the apostle paul says it's a faithful saying and then he says and worthy of all acceptation worthy of all acceptation in other words it's worthy of all reliance it's worthy to be depended upon it's worthy of wholehearted acceptance it's deserving of all your confidence and your trust well, we might ask, well, why, outside of the things that we've just considered concerning its certainty, why is it so crucial that this be accepted and believed? Well, because of its implication regarding its rejection. Because of its implication regarding its rejection. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so, obviously, to not be saved is to be lost. And to be lost is to be lost for eternity. The implication of rejecting this truth is an eternity suffering the just wrath of God upon you for your sin. That is why it is crucial. That is why if God has brought you here tonight and you are outside of Christ... It is, it is a tr crucial truth for you to consider right now. God is setting before you His gospel. He is setting before you Christ. And if this is you, if you are outside, then I call you in Jesus' name to repent, to turn to Him, to trust in Him. So this truth is crucial because of the implication regarding its rejection. The horror 
of rejecting this truth. But it's also crucial because of its reputation regarding its acceptance. Not only its implication regarding its rejection, but its reputation regarding its acceptance. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that not only is this deliverance from hell, it's not only worthy to be accepted because you'll get out of going to hell and suffering an eternity's worth of wrath. That's not the only reason it's worthy to be accepted. It's worthy to be accepted because it puts before you not only deliverance from hell, but a change of your life. It, It sets before you more than you can ever imagine. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, as so many who are so deceived think it is. It is something so much more. It is Christ. It is reconciliation to God. That is what's being set before you here in this truth. He came into the world to save sinners. You could say He came into the world to reconcile sinners. Behold what there is to be had in Christ. Think of the people that he has saved. He came to the world to save sinners. And we're thinking about the Apostle Paul. But you can make an endless list of people who were wretched, wicked people. All of us here who know Christ would be included. And so far beyond who have been saved and transformed. What are we told in 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that is the promise that is held out to you tonight. Not only deliverance from eternal destruction and hell, but the promise of a changed life. The promise of a new nature. The promise to be born again and transformed. The promise of sins forgiven. The promise of guilt absolved. The promise of acceptance with God granted. That is held out to you tonight in the Lord's name. He came into the world to save sinners. Oh, what Christ will do for your soul if you will but come to Him. But lastly here, as we think about the truth Paul believed, it's comprehensive, it's certain, and it's crucial. But this truth is personal. This truth is personal. Paul, at the end of verse 15, says, regarding the sinners that Christ came to save, Of whom I am chief. Of whom I am foremost. And so I think about this here. The gospel is a personal message. It is truth that is for the individual soul. And Paul knew that. This truth is personal and it was personal to Paul. This is how Paul viewed himself. I am chief of sinners. Why did he view himself that way? Because 
He was transparent with himself the way you need to be. Paul knew his heart to the degree that he knew of the wickedness and the darkness that was inside of him so that he could say, I am the chief of sinners. He is affirming in that statement what Christ came for. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's me, Lord. And I need you to save my soul. That's really the the point. I am the chief of those sinners that you came to save. He is affirming what Christ came for and he's embracing what Christ came for. And so as it was personal to Paul, it should be personal to you. There's a call for you tonight, if you do not know Christ, to make this truth personal to you. It is a personal message. And until you get this, you will not understand your need of Christ. You will not understand. If you cannot say, I am the chief of sinners, if you cannot see the wickedness that is in you to that degree, you will not understand your need for Christ. You are not a good person. There is none good. No, not one. That doesn't mean you may not do good things. It doesn't mean you're the most wicked person alive in terms of the outward things that you've done. But what it means is there's no spiritual good in you. And before God, you are bankrupt. And you need Christ to come and save your soul. I would say I am obviously preaching to those that do not know Christ, but I would say a word to those who do know Christ at this point, is that until you and I enter into this statement more fully, we cannot fully enjoy and appreciate the glory of the gospel. That as, as Paul says this, there is a, there's a laying hold of the gospel in this statement. I am chief of the sinners. And there, there's a realization of the glory of the gospel in this statement. And and we would all do well to begin each day right here. That as we awake, as we arise in the morning, before we talk, if you're a husband, before you talk to your wife, if you're a wife, before you talk to your husband, before you talk to your children, before you talk to anyone, this that you would you would afresh bring yourself before God and confess, I am the chief of sinners. Whatever happens today, that's how I view myself. I am the chief of sinners. That is a place of humility. That is a place where we recognize what we are outside of Christ. And it's a place where we need to always frequent in our walk with the Lord. So this truth is personal. And you need to make it yours tonight, those that are strangers to grace. So the, that is the truth that Paul believed. And now consider with me from verse 16, the mercy Paul received. The mercy Paul received. 
He says in verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Notice with me first here that Paul received mercy. Think about that word mercy with me for a moment. What is it that Paul received? I obtained mercy. Well, obtain that word really could be translated received. It wasn't that Paul earned this mercy. That's often how we think of the word obtained in our English language. But no, it's, it's rather the idea of received. He received mercy. He received pity. The, the word mercy here is the idea of compassion or, or pity. And that's what he received. I received mercy. In other words, he did not receive what his sins deserved. Because Christ bore what his sin deserved. His sin had been satisfied. The, the wrath of God upon his sin has been satisfied by Christ. And the Lord took pity on him. And I want you to think, uh, think about what we read in Acts 9 for our scripture reading. And, and think of what is being said here. The Lord took pity on Paul. The Lord did not take pity on him like some lost puppy at your doorstep. The Lord didn't take pity on him like some helpless, cute animal or something like that. No, the Lord took pity on him as he was like a snarling beast trying to devour your children. That's who the Lord took pity on. He took pity on one who was breathing out slaughterings and threatenings against his church. Think of that. Think of the grace of God in that. And his willingness to save the worst of sinners. And put yourself right there. Don't believe the lie of the devil that the Lord is not willing to save you. The Lord took pity on him and the Lord took that snarling beast of a man who was so zealous for his religion and the Lord subdued him and the Lord tamed him and the Lord made him his servant so that he became zealous for the truth. More zealous than he ever was for the lies of the devil. So Paul received mercy. And Paul received mercy as we think about the mercy Paul received. Paul received mercy because Christ is merciful. That is worthy of our consideration. Paul received mercy because Christ is merciful. As I already pointed out, don't think when he says, I obtained mercy, that he's saying he earned mercy. You might think the same thing back in verse 13 where he says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul's not saying there that, that he earned this mercy because he was sinning ignorantly. I suggest to you what he's pointing out there is that he, he truly didn't understand who Christ was. He truly didn't know the reality of the message. And it shows the mercy of Christ all the more. Because there were others who did the very same. There were those who persecuted God's people who didn't understand. And yet the Lord, by His grace and in His mercy, 
shine the light upon the Apostle Paul rather than just taking him out, rather than just ending his life. The Lord showed him mercy because Christ is merciful, because he is full of compassion towards sinners. His coming into the world shows us that. The love of God is manifested to us in that Christ died for the ungodly. Because he is full of compassion towards sinners. And because he is long-suffering towards sinners. He is merciful in these ways. That is how we see it. Paul says that he might, be, that he might show forth all long-suffering you think of what was said to the Apostle Paul and what we read in Acts 9, 5. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What does that mean? What's being referred to there? It is conviction. Paul was being convicted as he was sinning. And why, how do we know that? Because that same word is used in Acts 2, 37 after the men are preached to. And it says that they were pricked in their hearts and cried out, What? Must we do to be saved? Or men, what shall we do? They were convicted of their sin. And so, when we read about the Apostle Paul and the Lord saying to him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That's pointing us to the fact that Christ was long-suffering with him. That Paul was, was kicking back against the conviction and trying to, to plow on in, the way, in his way of wickedness, persecuting the church. And the Lord suffered him long. He was long-suffering towards him. And he's not obligated to do that. Christ is not obligated to be long-suffering towards any sinner. And you think about yourself. How much longer will he do this with you? Perhaps you are... Here and you are convicted tonight. How much longer will you kick against the pricks? How much longer will you be allowed to do that? Christ is long-suffering and He will save all those that have been given Him, but we have to realize also the Lord says in Genesis 6, 4, My spirit shall not always strive with man. And your business as a lost sinner is not to wait around for coming to Christ. Your business as a lost sinner is to come to Christ today. To look to Him now. Paul received mercy because Christ is merciful. And Paul received mercy even though he was merciless. Don't just don't let this just go over our heads how sinful of a man this was, how wicked of a man this was. He was merciless in his sin. And we see that in his actions and his emotions in just a couple of passages. We already read Acts 9 earlier, but I'll turn to it again just so you can Get the full picture. 
And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus. He was zealous in this way. His emotion, his emotions were on fire against the church and against these people. Threatenings and slaughter against the disciples. And then consider what we read in Acts 26 about Paul. And he's giving his testimony. He says in Acts 26, 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which thing also I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. He was merciless in his persecution of the church. And you see it in his action and, his, and in his emotions. And yet, though the extent of his sin was so great, though his mercilessness was so evident, yet Christ still showed him mercy. And do you think that he will not show you the same mercy? I assure you, he will show you mercy. Paul was extremely religious. It's not as if we're thinking about somebody who was living in the world, though that application is not removed. But I want you to just think about that. He was, he was zealous in his own way in his religion. And there are some people who, though they may be in Christianity, they're just zealous for it as a religion. And they don't know the heart of the truth that is Christ. And I ask you, to search your heart about that this evening. But Paul received mercy even though he was merciless. And Paul became an example of the Lord's mercy. That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Part of the purpose in the Lord saving such wicked sinners is for them to be an example to others who are coming on down the line and you want to see Him as an example tonight. He is an example to identify with. That is why He set forth for a pattern that sinners would be able to identify with Him. That a sinner in the depths of their sin and in need of mercy would be able to see one who had received such mercy that they are in need of. And he is an example for them to imitate, therefore. He's an example for lost sinners to imitate. That others could confidently come to Christ for the forgiveness of all their sin. All their sin. You and I, you think about that statement, all their sin, and you think about Paul and what that would have meant to him. What it would have meant to him to say, all my sin? Really? All of it? 
everything. And the Lord says, all of it. And you can receive the same tonight. That they could confidently come to Christ for the forgiveness of all their sin and then, and then be used in His service. And that is the call of the Lord to you tonight. Not only to be saved, but to be saved in order to give your life to Him in service. And that's the last thing I want you to see is that Paul became the servant of the one who showed him mercy. And that he, he didn't just receive this mercy in vain. He received this mercy and then he committed himself to the Lord. The Lord saved Paul and Paul served the Lord. Having received such mercy, Paul gave his life to be a messenger of such mercy. Acts 26 again, verse 15. And this is Paul's testimony. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That was the purpose of the Apostle Paul's life forevermore. And, and you're here and, and you're not going to become the Apostle Paul in terms of that service. And you might, not, you might not become a minister of the gospel or anything like that. But the Lord will convert you. And then you will consecrate your life to service. And that is the call to you tonight. That as you look to Paul as a pattern for lost sinners to follow. Look to him in the mercy that the Lord showed to him in his conversion. And look to him in the grace of God in changing a life and consecrating it unto him from that day forward. Conversion and consecration, that is what we see in Him and what I call you to look to in Him. The Lord calls you to Himself that you'd be consecrated to Him. you become His servant. And so, as we end, do not believe the devil's lie that you are too lost to be saved. And also, do not believe the devil's lie that you are saved yet living like you're lost. God's people fall into sin, but God's people do not stay and happily live in sin. And I say that for the sake of all who are listening who may be deceived. The Lord is able to save you. Do not deceive yourself to thinking He's not able or that you're not in need of such salvation. Hear the Lord's call. Speak to me or anyone here to get help if you need it. But you can call upon Him where you are.
and he'll show you mercy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are mindful. We are mindful that you're the only one that can save a soul. And we ask thee, O God, that if there were anyone here, Lord, maybe most people here are saved. But Lord, if there's just one, even if there's just one, we pray, Lord, don't let them go out of here a stranger to Christ. Our life is but a vapor. Lord, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We know not what a day will bring forth. And we pray, Lord, get a hold of any heart here that is a stranger to Christ and bring them, oh God, bring them gloriously to their knees in faith and repentance. Oh Lord, give them more than just a mental assent to truth. Give them a heart that is gripped with the truth we've considered and give them the grace, oh God, to live their life in light of that truth and proclaiming that truth. Lord, we pray, bless this message, Lord. Bless it even to those listening online, Lord. Perhaps there's someone listening online that is a stranger to Christ. Oh God, we pray, seal this message to them and cause them to not just be a hearer of it, but a doer of it. Bless us as we end this service, O oh Lord, and continue with us in our fellowship tonight. Be in our midst. Make our conversation pleasing unto Thee, edifying to our souls. And Lord, speak to lost sinners, we ask. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.